Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. You're locked in. Look at what we have here, folks. To the only show that matters. The cream of the crop. Duke loves wrestling. And there is no one that does it better than your host. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. The Duke. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Hi, this is Earl Oliver from Sully Finish Wrestling. This is Raj Geary with WrestlingInc.com. This is Sean Reed, boxing writer and undercover low-key wrestling fan. And you're listening to Duke Love Wrestling. Woo! Folks, we had a major loss in the wrestling community recently with the passing of the legend. I mean, I'm talking about a guy who legitimately is responsible not only for being an ambassador of pro wrestling for fans all over the world, but also for wrestlers all over the world. Through his mediums, he was able to expose them to just vast audiences. I'm talking about the one, the only Joe Pettacino. And, you know, I have my own personal experience with Joe and, and a lot of the great things that he's put out there through the years. But I have a couple of friends of mine who have their own unique experience. And I, I said to myself, you know something, let me get my guys on here to, to talk about Joe, especially because they're from closer to where Joe was really running wild down there. These guys are from the uh, Georgia area there. You know, Joe, he had the whole South on lock, so to speak. So without further ado, welcome back to the Duke Loves Wrestling podcast, the pastor of wrestling, Kevin West, and also a guy who, in my opinion, has the best voice that I've ever heard. I mean, Barry White, I'm sorry, brother. I think, I think my man <laughs> has you beat. I'm talking about the one, the only Big Al. In fact, let's start off with you, Big Al. How you doing, brother? Oh, man, all is well in my world. How you doing, Duke? I'm doing great, man. A lot of folks tell me good voice, but I got to tell you, Big Al, you 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 got me beat, brother. Hey, man, you know I'm just uh trying to be six out here in this world with this melodious voice of mine, but I'm really <laughs> enjoying uh, just sitting here talking to you about some good wrestling. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And, and, and Pastor Kevin West, the pastor of wrestling, definitely appreciate you joining me uh, this afternoon as well, brother. No problem, brother. And it talks about some good wrestling. That's right. That's right. So, Joe Pettacino. I mean, here's a guy, as we said, he just responsible for so much good that's happened in pro wrestling over the past 40 so, or some odd years here. Big Al, let me start with you uh, because you have an interesting take on Joe and, and how he's affected your life personally and even your, your friendship, your relationship with, with Kevin. Talk to us about how Joe Pettacino has affected you and Kevin as, as two lifelong friends? Well, it was, uh, I think Kevin and I met in like 92 or 93. I had always been a wrestling fan. My mother, you know, we're here in Atlanta and uh, NWA, which turned into WCW, is based here in Atlanta. So uh, my mother used to take us. To, I can remember going to uh, Starcade back when it was at Diamond back in the day. Uh, looking at NWA uh, because it was on Techwood Drive and used to come on a super station. So I used to look at, uh, you know, wrestling all the time. And uh, one night I was just, you know, flipping through the TV and saw wrestling on Channel 69, like basically came out of nowhere. It's called Superstars of Wrestling. Used to stay on from 8 to uh, like 3 in the morning. Oh, so I was just crazy about it. I ended up going to high school at Frederick Douglass. Uh, I think it was in the ninth grade, right, Kevin? We met in the ninth or the eighth grade. Ninth, eighth, uh, ninth grade. Yeah. Uh, so Kevin and I were in PE class, and uh, so we used to just be in there wrestling and uh, just going crazy, acting the fool, and we used to just call out all these obscure wrestler names. And I was asking Kevin, like, how did he know? He was like, he used to look at superstars of wrestling, so uh. That's really why our friendship, like, really budded uh, in PE class 
from knowing all about wrestling, looking at the superstars of wrestling, man, we spent uh, hours on the phone, hours uh, hanging out at each other's house just looking at wrestling through Joe Pettacino. Talk to us about Joe Pettacino's wrestling show that you used to watch growing up. I've, I've been watching wrestling, Duke, and I've said this on your show before since I was about three years old. I was introduced to wrestling um, by my grandfather. So I say, um, I think I first found out about Joe maybe when I was about eight or nine years old. At the time, he used to come on um, a station, Channel 36 at the time. And I think back then he was only doing maybe about three or four hours before he actually went to going to about eight hours <laughs> a night. But um, that's when I first found out about Joe. I remember my first introduction, probably was about 85, 86, watching the Von Erichs on Superstars Wrestling. And I got hooked, you know, and I was like, man, this is good. And not only was he showing, um, you know, different territories, but, you know, he also did a little thing through the community where he would have um, um, some of the wrestlers come out and do meet and greets whether it was at the World Congress Center, at the uh, old Atlanta Brave Stadium, wherever. So, you know, I, I got hooked, and I was hooked all the way from pretty much, i say, 85 all the way up to probably his last show. Big Al, you and Kevin, I, I, I know that you ran into each other a lot at school and what have you. Describe that moment when you both found out, you both realized that not only were you both wrestling fans, but that you both were watching Joe Pettacino's wrestling show every week or what have you. Talk to me about that period there. Oh, well, we already had like a a budding friendship, uh, basically from what we used to, uh, with some people, you know, back in the day called the dozens, we call it Jonin uh, here in Atlanta. So uh, we just, you know, both uh, fun-loving fellas. I was always... uh, you know, the bigger dude in class or the bigger dude in school. So, uh, you know, they were used to jump me in PE class, quote, unquote, jump me. Uh, so just really, just, you know, fun times. And like I say, to find out that he knew about uh, what many people would think were obscure wrestlers like uh, Brickhouse Brown, uh, my favorite, uh, Iceman King Parsons, uh, Pistol Pills, while all these like black wrestlers who were, like, you know, really uh, good wrestlers. But, you know, most people didn't find out, didn't know about them really, or, um, you know, they had such funny names. And then me and Kevin's uh, personal favorite, Wildcat Wonder Cooley, like when I found out that he knew <laughs> who the Wildcat was, I was like, hey, man, this guy's all right with me. That's, that's something interesting there. And, and I'm glad you said that, Big Al, because you talked about, Black wrestlers, especially during that time period, the early 80s, going into the early 90s and what have you, it was not common to see black wrestlers be presented as somebody who'd be on top of the card or featured as really the top stars and what have you. Joe Pettacino, you know, he he made it a point to feature a lot of folks from all different ethnicities and what have you, especially black wrestlers. And so that's pretty cool that you call that out. In fact, it reminds me of my own personal story where, you know, growing up here in Boston, we didn't necessarily get Joe's show. That was really concentrated more in the Atlanta and, and you know, southern states, Midwest and what have you. I can only count on one hand how many times I've actually seen his show. But I can tell you that by the time he and his lady, Bonnie Blackstone, by the time they took over uh, – GWF, Global Wrestling Federation, Every Day, ESPN. You know, that was a time slot originally that was with uh, World Class Championship Wrestling. So when that promotion kind of went away, that's when Global stepped up. And brother, I would rush home every day from grade school, get my homework done, just so I could watch Global Wrestling Federation. And there was one tag team in particular. And I know you fellas are very familiar with this. And we'll, we'll start with you, uh, Kevin. The Ebony Experience. We, we later know them as uh, Booker T and Stevie Ray, the Harlem oh, yeah. But originally, they were the, the Ebony Experience. Talk to us about the Ebony Experience, man, and, and what it was like to see those guys on national TV being featured in such a prominent role. <laughs> My memory of the Ebony experience, and, and mainly Booker T, I remember him coming out with the um, the Army hat, 
the little Army baseball camp. And, and you know, they coming down the aisle. I think they were in the sport tutorial, right? And I remember them walking down the aisle, and it was like the Bunny Eriks, man, a black version of the Bunny Eriks. All the girls hugging them, kissing them, you know. And, I mean, just a wonderful experience, you know. And it, it felt good to see, you know, our people <laughs> in that manner. But, uh, you know, great tag team. We see, you know, the success of Booker T later on and even Stevie Ray. You know, but it was good to see how hot they were back then in Dallas. Big Al, talk to us about the Ebony experience. I mean, you, you touched upon some of these other guys here, Wildcat, uh, Wendell Cooley, and, and Pistol Pez Watley. What was it like to see the Ebony experience? I mean, they were, they were pretty young guys being featured on national TV by the time they got to global wrestling there. What was that like for you to see those guys? I was uh, really cool, uh, especially the fact that they got to, you know, like just really be themselves, have some swag and, uh, you know, just the go out and present themselves to the audience. And uh, it, it was funny just to hear them basically carry on what uh, Pistol Pez, Watland, Iceman King, Parson, and Old Cats were doing just to, uh, to, to just really be themselves to kind of immerse black uh, the wrestling audience into the black experience and uh, not necessarily be like uh, to be minstrels, you know, to say it uh, plainly, like they weren't minstrels. They were just themselves and had a kind of like a, a shaft type quality. They were like strong uh, black personalities. And that was like really cool to see because you really didn't see that besides uh, the junkyard dog, really. That's a good point. That's a very good point. Once again, when we talk about folks like the Ebony Experience and, and, and you know, being able to see black wrestlers featured on such a large scale, Joe Pettacino, I mean, here's a guy that made it a point to put that out there for the world. In addition to, you know, the lightweight or the cruiserweight stuff, before it was called cruiserweight stuff. I mean, you could, you could see the lightning kid, Sean Waltman, uh, later – Later became X-Pac. You could see him versus Chaz versus Jerry Lynn. This is way before their time in ECW. Uh, you know, you could see these exciting high-flying matches that still made sense. There was psychology behind it. And that would have never happened. That would have never happened without uh, Joe Pettacino. So that's that's really good stuff there. Uh, the memories. Thinking back to some of these great times here. Another person that comes to mind when we when we think about Joe and Big Al, I'm going to start with you here. Joe's better half, Bonnie Blackstone. Talk to us about Bonnie because you know you really can't. When you think of Joe, you think of Bonnie. When you think of Bonnie, you think of Joe. As somebody who is from Atlanta and grew up in that area, there. Talk to us about Bonnie ba Bonnie Blackstone there, Big Al. Well, it was uh. I remember Kevin was telling me, uh, just you know, as we've talked about this over the past few days, he was just bringing stuff back into our memory, like how some type of uh, contest. I forget exactly uh, what the name of it was, but it was uh, basically for a female co-host uh, to the superstars. And uh, I remember that they went through uh, a litany of, of women and uh, Bunny ended up uh, winning, but the uh, great thing about it and like just how forward thinking uh, you know, Joe was because back then, you know, we remember there were no women uh, really in sports at all that were coming uh, doing commentary, so uh, not only was she uh, a woman, a pretty face but she was knowledgeable about uh, the things that were going on in the world of wrestling and she just wasn't uh she just wasn't there to, you know, be pretty how some women are. She was there with actual knowledge and could uh hold her own in the commentary of what was going on on the different shows. Because like I say, this was going on, man, from like eight o'clock at night until three in the morning. So it was a lot of things to talk about and she was just knowledgeable when they would come back from the breaks and uh you know, talk about things. She knew what was going on, so that was pretty cool. She, uh, really, as I'm sitting here thinking about it, she really was like a, a national pioneer because even with ESPN and all that, you never saw women 
uh, doing a lot of commentary on ESPN. So she really like blazed the trail. Like as I sit here and think about it, Kevin, do you have anything to add to that? When we talk about Bonnie Blackstone, you know, shows <clears throat> better half. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I'm in agreement with Alan a whole lot. Um, she was a trailblazer. You know, I remember those early days of Superstars of Wrestling when Bunny first came on with, and, you know, they had Sir Sammy Ken on there, you know, and uh, just the chemistry. You know, Bunny had great chemistry with Joe. She had great chemistry with Sammy Kent. You know, whoever came up there, she had great chemistry. And, you know, um, like Big Al was saying, you know, she, she's a trailblazer. She's a pioneer. So, you know, much respect and love for Bunny. You know, we knew that Joe was, was having some health issues and – Bonnie had done a great job of documenting his journey, you know, the, the challenges he was having, what have you, because she wanted to share him with the world, something that they had been doing since day one. So we knew that eventually this, this day would come, but it's still, it just kind of hits you like a ton of bricks. If you could communicate anything to, to Joe's family and, and other fans and, you know, especially Bonnie, and we'll start with you, uh, uh, Kevin, what would you like to say about Joe to Joe? What would you like Bonnie to know on behalf of the fans uh, directly from you? There, First, I would like to say thank you, Joe and Bunny. Just introducing me to the territories, you know, again, a lot of knowledge just from watching the territories. You know, thank you for introducing me to the Vonairs, to Jerry Lawler, Nick Botwick, all these you know, childhood superstars of mine. You know, I, I just want to say thank you, Joe, and, and thank you, Bunny. I remember meeting Bunny several times as a kid, and she was always real friendly and nice. And um, and Joe had a son that used to come on TV every now and then. His name was Vince. I remember that. And, you know, I just want to just um, send out my condolences to uh, Bunny, to Vince. You know, uh, Joe was a great man. Um, he will be missed, but thank you again, Joe, for everything, just for being a part of my Wrestling childhood. How about you, Big Al? What, what would you like to say to Joe and, and say to his family and loved ones and especially to Bonnie there? Well, definitely I want to send out my condolences. I also want to say that, you know, I want to thank the both of them for first helping me find and foster a friendship. And not just a friendship, it's a brotherhood that uh, Kevin and I have. We've been friends for 25 plus years, really. That really fostered in our love from wrestling, looking at NWA on TBS from six to eight and then turning uh, to the superstars from eight to three. It was many times that he and I fell asleep on the phone together looking at wrestling, but we'd uh, be back at school Monday doing the moves on each other and making fake wrestling belts and calling out the wrestlers who we were from the Von Erichs. Uh Kerry Von Erich was a, a personal favorite of mine. I think we wrestled a little too much this one time with a guy you know by the name of Timothy Sagos did it inadvertently hurt somebody doing a real DDT so on concrete. So man, we, we just had too much fun and all that really uh Joe Petacino Bunny Blackstone really helped foster our love for our wrestling and I also wanna say like not too many people are able to uh make money off of their passion. And Joe's passion was wrestling and Joe's passion was fans of wrestling. So it's just an honor to have seen him and uh, to have known him from afar. And he ended up finding his soulmate through his passion. So it's like he had a trifecta and not many people uh, get to do that in life. So uh, it was a life well lived and it was a life well appreciated. Folks, I got to tell you, it, it is always a pleasure to speak to the pastor of wrestling, Mr. Kevin West, and Big Al, okay? The exotic Big Al. He, he wants to be known as the Ebony Experience now. Just funny dude, great voice. And, you know, we got to give it up. Got to get up to Joe. I mean, what a loss for the entire wrestling industry. Uh, Joe Petticino. And, you know, my heart really goes out to Bonnie. She's she's a strong woman, and to lose her life partner like that is just – it's a major loss for us all, but especially for her. So I was glad to have those two guys come on and share their experience as fans and as folks who connected behind the great product that Joe Petticino had put out for so many great years. So 
good stuff there. Listen, we're going to switch up speeds now because I have on the line literally one of the most well-known people in pro wrestling news today, controversial figure, somebody that I got a lot of time for because the guy doesn't care. He just tells you how it is. And, you know, some people love it. Some people hate it. But as Ric Flair would say, it's the best thing going today. So without further ado, welcome back to the Duke Loves Wrestling podcast. The man that has taken Pro Sports Extra, that website, okay? This is one of the top sports websites in the world. I think it's top 100 for soccer news, which is just incredible. It's a website that's doing major numbers, and, and their web traffic has been way up over the past few months, which really coincide with a major promotion that, that our guest received. What he's done with that website over the past, I would say, you know, especially the past four or five uh, months has just been tremendous. So welcome back to Duke Loves Wrestling, the one, the only, Mr. Brad Shepard. Shepard, what's going on, brother? Well, thanks for having me, Duke. I do appreciate it. It's always good to, to chat it up with you. And uh, I'm just trying to stay sane and uh, stay safe and inside during this uh, unusual time. For sure. For sure. And listen, I, you know, I, I make no bones about it. You know, one thing about me, Shepard, I do my homework and I've been paying a lot of attention to Pro Sports Extra and what's been going on with that website in terms of web traffic and, and just where the traffic is coming from and what have you. And I can say unequivocally, the, the, the proof is in the pudding. What you've been doing on that site recently, and especially with your pro wrestling coverage, the way that you've kind of continued to push them. Uh, to the forefront of what's going on just with sports in general. It's really been impressive. I mean, speak to us about that a little bit. Your, your dedication to continuing to push pro sports extra to being one of the top sports websites really in the world. Yeah, well, thanks. I appreciate that. Uh, you know, for me, it was about aligning with the brand, you know, with the company that supported me and what I do. And, of course, all of the controversy that I bring. Um, you know, and Trevor, the owner of Pro Sports Extra, has done that from day one. You know, he's believed in me, uh, what I bring to the table, and, you know, he's recognized that talent and, and let me flourish and let me, um, you know, kind of take the reins, so to speak, and, and move forward with the vision. So that's what I'm doing. And, yeah, I've been really pleased with the results, and I think we have a long ways to go. But, you know, we've made tremendous progress this year, and I'm really excited about what's, uh, what's in our future. You know, speaking about the future, I got to tell you, Shepard, first of all, never in my wildest dreams did I think that around the world, we would all be doing pretty much the same thing. You know, this the stay-at-home order, the social distancing stuff, really driving folks from the outside and the gatherings and what have you, forcing folks to be indoors more which has also resulted in more consumption of, of different forms of entertainment, like watching television, being on the internet more, playing the video games more, the streaming websites, the Netflix and what have you, you know, they're doing pretty well. But one of the strangest things that's been happening, at least here in America, pro wrestling really has not brought in the ratings that we would expect, especially in a situation where folks are at home more and, you know, a lot of folks are not even working right now. So you would expect them to be watching more pro wrestling since it's on TV all over the place. What's going on, man? I mean, what do you think is the, the issue here where the fan base really has not responded on television? It has not translated so far over the past couple of months. Yeah, great question. So I think there's really a couple of elements to it. One is... You know, these shows without audiences have really exposed how important the audience is, the live audience to a pro wrestling show. You know, even from just a standpoint of how a, a professional wrestler would work a match, you know, it changes drastically without an audience. So, you know, I, I think there's that element to it, but also the other element. And this is something we've seen without the pandemic. And that's that the product is just not connecting with mainstream society. We know football is going to always be more popular probably than professional wrestling. However, they just had the NFL draft, a remote draft. It was the highest viewed ever. 15.6 million people watched the first day. 
and, and we're talking about ratings now under 2 million viewers for Monday Night Raw. So it's not connecting on any significant level with a mainstream audience. And when you talk about that, you have to talk about why. Because we did see points in time, for example, the Attitude Era, where it did connect with mainstream society. Um, we don't have that cool factor today. We essentially have a show that's being written for children, and the average viewer is in their 50s. So it's really not connecting on any level. Um, and until they make drastic changes to the presentation of their product, it's probably not going to. I'm really curious about this here. And I know that you spent a lot of time researching and, and talking to a lot of folks, thinking about it personally. As you said, you know, the pro wrestling product in general, especially WWE, they're producing a product primarily for children. They're trying to bring up this next generation of wrestling fan. Yet the majority of their audience is much older, much, much older, uh, our age and, and definitely above. Yet they're making the most money that they've, than they've ever made in history and of any wrestling company in history. How do you wrap your head around this concept? Because let's face it, man, the product has not been inspirational enough, as you say, uh, to cross over to the mainstream. You know, you're not bringing in people who don't normally watch pro wrestling right uh, normally here. I mean, there's nothing for them to relate to, so to speak. Yet these contracts, these television contracts that the WWE is making all this buku bucks off of, they just keep getting bigger and bigger. Wrap your head around that for me, Shepard. And what are your thoughts just from a general standpoint about that? Yeah, this is puzzling for sure because those historical key metrics that you would look at for the success of, let's say, at WWE, for example, you know, their live event uh, ticket sales, they, they were down significantly before the pandemic. Their merchandise sales, down. Um, you could go on and on. Their ratings continue to go down. So you, you have a lot of these historical key metrics that aren't doing well, that are trending in the wrong direction. And at the same time, uh, you, you have a big TV deal like Fox and Fox saying, hey, we can put you on the Fox machine and we can promote you properly and we think you'll do a lot better. We haven't seen that, but they have been able to get tremendous TV deals and, of course, global expansion. The deal with Saudi Arabia has been huge to their bottom line. So WWE has turned really into a TV company. They're not a live touring company. They're not a traveling circus. They are a TV show. And, you know, I, I think that's really how they have to adapt, how they operate. They have to get out of the wrestling mindset and, and look at the fact that they're a big TV show on a big network now, and that's how they should present themselves. But it's very puzzling for sure because a lot of those key metrics, historically, that you would gauge uh, their success on, um, they're, they're just seeming to become less relevant to, at least in the eyes of, of these networks that are signing them to large TV deals. You know, the rumor mill has been going crazy over the past uh, 24 hours or so. Reports coming out, I mean, even from Dirty Dutch Mantel, uh, claiming online that he, he has a connection at WWE headquarters, and they're telling him that the WWE is on the market. They're marketing themselves to, to Disney, and they're marketing themselves to, to Fox and all this other nonsense here to – essentially sell the whole company, not just their pay-per-view, not just the, the WWE network, but the whole kit and caboodle. I got a funny feeling, Shepard, that there's a, there's a misinformation campaign going on purposely by WWE just to stir up a little bit of interest, a little bit of, of, of uh, you know, get folks talking, get some attention. It may even drive up some stock prices with this type of speculation or what have you. Do you think there is possibly any truth to this or, or are you more in line with me where you think that this may be a plant and, and a lot of folks are just kind of taking the bait, so to speak? Yeah. So I, I think a lot of folks are taking the bait. Yeah. I, I don't, um, yeah, I don't have any evidence that this is true at all. And, uh, so, so there's that, um, you know, it, so I do think it's a plant. They do think it's misinformation and I'm not sure exactly if that's coming from Dutch uh, someone else, someone in WWE, I, I don't know, uh, and we'll speculate. But I will say this. Let's say they decided to do that, just hypothetically speaking. I think it's a terrible idea. 
I really do. Uh, a lot of people bring up, of course, Disney. And to me, personally speaking, you know, the last thing that professional wrestling needs is to uh, be under the Disney umbrella. Uh, if, if you think the product is watered down in PG today, um, you ain't seen nothing yet, in my opinion. So I think it would not be a good idea for pro wrestling. I think one of the things, ironically, that has hurt, you know, WWE in a lot of ways is just going public. You know, it's, it, it really does change your entire business model um, as, as far as how you operate. And sure, the bottom line looks great right now, how much everybody's worth. That's all good. But, you know, at the end of the day, we've seen – just, uh, again, a lot of those historical metrics aren't working. They've had to water down their product and, uh, and, and put something on that's very PG, very childlike, something that's very focused on, you know, uh, the fake fights as opposed to the characters and stories. And that's not historically where wrestling has thrived in any significant capacity. We're talking to Brad Shepard. He is the man, the myth, the legend behind Pro Sports Extra, legitimately, it's one of the top sports sites in the world. And Brad, specifically, he's doing a lot of great things, especially with their wrestling content. I'll tell you, you know, love it or hate it, or somewhere in between, when Brad Shepard talks wrestling, everybody pays attention, everyone's listening, including you, Nia Jax, which I'm sure you're listening right now, Nia. You know, Brad, you, you kind of ran into a little bit of uh, – you know, you worked yourself into a shoot, so to speak, because, you know, some of your sources gave you some information about Nia Jax and her return from her, her major injury. I mean, she blew out both of her knees. So it's great that she was able to make her way back there. But Shepard, you know, you reported around when she was expected to come back and you were right. Yet she so, she said that it's not true, it's not true, and then ended up proving you right. So so talk to me about that for a second there, Shepard. How does it feel to have somebody like Nia Jax essentially discredit you in front of the world but then prove you right like that? Yeah, well, the egg is on her face in the end. But, it, you know, it was really odd because, you know, they have these projections based on the injuries internally of when someone is scheduled to return. And obviously that can change based on the progress in the injury. For example, Nia did have uh, a reevaluation at the end of January. You know, so again, there's that time frame at the end of progression where there's some flexibility as far as how things go. Um, but it was going to be the first quarter of the year. And in fact, of course, it was. She did, in fact, get clear from injury in March and then wrestle in March on a recorded show. Um, and she had to know this, obviously. This is not a secret. I mean, this is, this is something that people inside the company have access to. So it was just really baffling. And, and I get it's this carny mentality of, you know, oh, we can't tell anybody. We have to deny things that are the truth. But it was just so unnecessary because to me, you know, knowing that I'm reporting something that's truthful, all she had to do was just not say anything. Instead, she actually went out of her way to lie, which was really just the strange part to me. Um, you know, and she has a major platform. She has over 600,000 followers and just, you know, made repeated tweets about me. Um, and then, you know, I dealt with days uh, with, with the Nia Jack stands. Yes, she actually has Nia. Nia Jax has stands, everybody. I mean, you, you know, I didn't know that was a thing. It is. Um, so it's just the whole thing was quite odd. Um, but if I didn't say I didn't enjoy her eating a little humble pie at the end, I would be lying. I absolutely did because I knew all along I was just telling the truth. And there was a lot of vocal critics of that story, um, in part just because of what Naya said. It's like, you know, I, I've got some news for you. Professional wrestlers do lie. It's a carny business. And while that may have evolved from what it used to be decades ago, there's still that element to it that exists today. The fans get so wrapped up into this stuff and they forget exactly what you just said. You know, the wrestlers, they, they swerve you. Sometimes they're not telling the truth and that's because they're directed to put that misinformation out there. So, I mean, anyone who's anyone and who has any kind of sourcing, they know that Nia Jax was at the performance center she was doing her rehab. She was moving around. She was starting to take bumps. We knew what was really going on. So when Shepard put that report out, 
about when she's expected to come back. I mean, this isn't, he's not making this stuff up. This is a fact. I just say to some of you fans out there, sometimes you, you overreact and you forget that the wrestler's job is to work you, right? It's to get you emotional and make you believe what they want you to believe, which is only half the time the truth. And even that half is, is probably a half of a half. So, you know, to attack the media personalities can be a little interesting to observe. Uh, switching speeds here, though, Shepard, uh, we know that the WWE has gotten rid of 43% of their workforce, not just the wrestlers, but also office folks, trainers. A lot of folks have been furloughed, so the idea is they'll be brought back, but the wrestlers are, are independent contractors. So there's no guarantee that any of those folks are going to be back. Generally speaking, a lot of knee-jerk reaction from the fans is, oh, well, now so-and-so, they can go to all elite wrestling. You know, AEW is going to pick them up now, what have you. Based on what you know and what you're hearing out there, if you were to give a rough estimate, how many of these wrestlers do you expect to actually show up in AEW, let's say in the next 12 months, the, the wrestlers who the WWE have, have recently released? Yeah, less than 50%. Um, you know, I think AEW has their own challenges. It's not just WWE when you talk about being affected by the pandemic. They have a budget too. You know, granted, Chad Khan could just say, you know what, I'm going to write you a check for another $100 million. But until that happens, they have a budget too, and they're trying to make money based on a TV show they're putting forward. And uh, so far they've spent a lot more than they've earned. So that's, that's a thing, right? I mean, everybody has a business and a budget, so they can't just sign everybody. Um, and, you know, I think there's an interesting balance too, because Cody Rhodes recently made a comment about um, the former Zack Ryder, Matt Cardona, and uh, said this can't be, you know, all friends wrestling or something to that effect. And they're really kind of getting into that territory, that WCW or TNA territory, where they're really signing a lot of their friends. You know, they're going down that rabbit hole and, you know, they had better be careful because, you know, if they're too aggressive with some of these releases, you know, I think it's a big mistake. I mean, we look at people who are going to AEW. And I talked about this on my podcast, the Oh, You Didn't Know Wrestling Show, just this week. You look at what happened with guys like Luke Harper, Matt Hardy, Sean Spears, or Ty Dillinger, as you may have known him in WWE. And, and all of these guys were protected by the WWE machine. And I think, in a way, what the WWE machine does is that it hides their inherent flaws. It hides their weaknesses. Um, and those things are really exposed when they go to AEW. I mean, everybody clamored for Broken Matt when he was in WWE. Oh, it was so great. Just let him be Broken Matt. He gets to AEW, and it was a total flop. It was like I was watching a bad Broadway play or something. The gimmicks run its course. It didn't work. Sean Spears is in AEW, has one of the worst win-loss records of anybody in the company. Um, so, you know, and, and to me, I think Luke Harper going in Brody Lee, you know, he's been a big flop as the leader of the, as I call him, the dork order. It, it hasn't been very entertaining at all. So, you know, I think, again, say what you want about not having the freedom in WWE, but that machine also does protect you to a degree. And when you're not there, it, it does expose your weaknesses. So that's one thing to keep in mind as well as you talk about going to AEW. You know, one of the big stories that has popped up, and I'm just got to be honest with you, I don't know which way to go with this thing here. I'm, I'm still waiting for facts to come out. Um, it was reported, it, it originally was posted on Reddit that WWE NXT star Velveteen Dream had solicited fans to you know, post to his, his personal DM. His DMs were open, as the kids would say today, you know, so to, to private message him basically on Instagram. And someone who has claimed that they're 17 years old posted on Reddit that the Velveteen Dream had sent them a, a naked photo of themselves, of himself. 
And also they recorded him asking, what school do you go to? That's all that's been put out there. So, you know, I'm not saying it's true. I'm not saying that it's not true, folks. I'm saying that there's, there's very little evidence to support what's what he's being accused of, which is very serious business here. And if it's true, then by all means, he should be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law, in my opinion. But if it's not true, then whoever's responsible for these allegations should be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law because the, you know, whoever's guilty here of whatever is, is sick, is completely sick. And I'll just go on the record and say that personally. Have you heard anything of Shepard just from you know, folks that you talk to and what have you. And, and what do you really make of this whole mess here? What is this stuff? Yeah, it's completely a mess for sure. I mean, I would really just echo a lot of the sentiments that you said already. I haven't heard anything really outside of what's been reported because, you know, uh, Patrick Clark is, um, he's obviously not talking. That I do know for a fact. He's, you know, not talking to anyone um, in the media, which, hey, I wouldn't either. Like, I don't blame him. He should be talking to an attorney and or WWE right now um, while this serious allegation has been lobbied against him. That's who he should be talking to. So I get that. That's, that's you know, understandable. And again, as you said, you know, if certainly this is true, he should be fired and he should be prosecuted. He knows the laws. He knows what he's doing. He's an adult and uh, he'll face the consequences. But... And this is a big but, because it's easy to assume, presume someone is actually guilty. And that's what we do. We make someone guilty in the court of public opinion before we find out the facts. And that's devastating to someone, to their reputation, to their ability to make money, to support a family. So, you know, that's something we really have to be careful about. So there is this presumption of innocence in this country, by the way, and I'm in favor of that for whatever the scenario is. So let's let the facts come out. That's, you know, that's what I'm supporting and, and decide from there. And if they decide he's not guilty, then absolutely. I think they should track down the people involved and charge them. And if he is guilty, he should be fired and he should be arrested himself. Um, so that's really just kind of the face value approach I'm taking at it until we find out more information. Shepard, what do you make of, of this? And, and I have to say this, they're a vocal minority, but what do you make of the folks who, in, in all societies, all aspects of life, who feel that if you take a position as we have, where we don't know if it's true, we don't know if it's not true, we need more facts before we start expressing an opinion beyond Let's see how this one shakes out. Whoever's guilty should, you know, they should be prosecuted, and, and that's really it. What do you make of this vocal minority that feels like you have to have a position, and more importantly, you need to take their position on something like this? And if you don't, then that means that you're part of the other side, and you're sticking up for bad people, and all this other nonsense. What do you make of of this kind of vocal minority and and, and that? type of attitude. I mean, where the hell did it come from and why is it so strong these days? Yeah. It, ironically, that's the same crowd that opposes me, you know, that is very vocal in a negative capacity about me on social media. It's these same people who jump to conclusions who are social justice warriors. You know, a lot of it is, is just social media. And, you know, a lot of it is just a reflection of society. You know, we're in a time where, you know, everything is, is generally more politically correct. There's a lot of social justice. And you have these people online who live in a bubble that, uh, that feign outrage about things that don't affect them in any manner whatsoever or that aren't a big deal, you know, because they want to present themselves in a certain way. And it's just a lot of phony baloney as far as I'm concerned. And so these people, I know them well. And the best thing you can do is completely disregard their opinion um, because they don't matter whatsoever and there is no appeasing them. There's no coming to a common ground. So it's a waste of your time, energy, and effort to even try that. You know, so those people, you let them have their space of the internet, you let them whine about, you know, the outrage of the day, and you go about your day ignoring them. And I think that's really the best approach to take. Yeah. And, and you know something, I, I'm finding that out the hard way 
uh, on a personal level there because it, it just, when you have people who they want the world to, to believe that they are so wrapped up in, in doing the right thing and that they stand up for so many different things and what have you. But, you know, when you ask them to give specifics, you know, show me your wares. You know, what, what, what have you really done? Who have you really helped? What, what movements have you really been part of? Um, you know, there, there aren't too many wares there, unfortunately, for them. And, and, you know, I don't want to make it seem like I'm picking on anybody because I get it. They're, you know, we're all different. And some people, you know, they have other issues, what have you, that relate to what we're talking about here. But when you have somebody like yourself who's put your life on the line for this country, when you have somebody like myself who has spent years doing constituent services and helping literally as many people as, as I possibly could, it, it's just very strange when you have folks who may not have gone as far as you have gone or I have gone, who then give us a hard time because we say, hey, let's wait for the facts. You know, this is America. Everyone's innocent. So proven guilty. Let's see how this shakes out here. We don't have enough information. Let's not have a knee jerk reaction to anything. It's just it's it's very bizarre uh, to see it. And, and I'm going to I'm going to leave you with something here, Shepard, because I, I found this pretty interesting. CM Punk. He put out a statement concerning the dark side of the ring, uh, that docu-series uh, that's happening on Vice TV, and they just recently aired the Dr. D. David Schultz uh, episode, where Dr. D was a pro wrestler. He's wrestling for the WWF. He slapped a reporter for, for saying wrestling is fake. And everyone wants to cheer him on. Yeah, you should have slapped that reporter. That's right. Stick up for the business. But CM Punk brought up a good point, and, and I want to get your thoughts on this, uh, Shepard. He said, for all of you folks who are cheering Dr. D. David Schultz for, for slapping that reporter, how many of you have done anything, anything to support Dr. D. David Schultz since then in terms of helping him not be blackballed from the business, which is exactly what happened as a result of him essentially sticking up for the business. So you want to applaud and you want to cheer for the slap and you want to say that that's okay, but you never went to the company and say, I'm not going to patronize your business. I'm not going to watch your product. I'm not going to support you if you don't allow Dr. D. David Schultz to continue to make a living for he and his family if you don't treat this guy who stuck up for the entire business right. You notice how all of these, these justice warriors or what have you, they want to applaud this, the, the slap, but they don't want to put their skin in the game to help somebody out. What, what do you make of that, though? Because I, I got to tell you, I give props to CM Punk personally for saying that because, in, in my opinion, it's true. Yeah, I agree for sure. I mean, again, I think you nailed it. The social justice warrior audience. Yeah, it's the same ones who are tweeting, cancel the WWE Network because, you know, The Fiend lost a title match and they're completely outraged and they're just never going to watch again until they tune in on Monday the next night. Uh, you know, so that's the group. You know, they don't tend to spend a lot of money. They don't tend to do even a lot of voting. It's it's just a loud group. And you know, the actual results that they provide for all of the, the noise they make is, is very minute. You know, and again, I think those are the people, you know, you just have to ignore because they're not going to change. But I totally agree with him. You know, the things you believe in and support, you should be willing to believe in and support. I mean, right now we're in a difficult time in a pandemic with indie wrestling, right? Because they're not running shows right now uh, with, with live audiences. So, what can you do? Well, you can go to Pro Wrestling Tees and buy their T-shirts instead of sending out a tweet. It's, it, you know, it's like someone who sends out a thoughts and prayers tweet to a mass tragedy. What does that really mean? It means absolutely nothing, right? Because their family isn't reading Twitter to get your feedback on what just happened. You actually have to take action if you care about issues and do something about it. And, and if you can't, then I simply can't respect your opinion, but so much. Well said. Well said. Listen, Shepard, let everybody know because you're, you're cranking out some of the best work in pro wrestling today as far as the news is concerned. I understand that you don't call yourself a journalist, which I think is, is commendable, commendable. You don't sit there and try to 
take credit for something that you don't need to take credit for. You're just a guy who, who cares about the business. You know people who are in the business. They, they share information with you. You write about it. You've put out some tremendous, tremendous work. You've exposed a lot of issues that needed to be exposed about wrestlers being taken advantage of by different companies and, and the whole nine yards. You know, let everybody know. How can they consume your stuff? How can they find you on social media? Just plug all your stuff there, Shepard. Yeah, I appreciate that. Uh, definitely follow all of my work at prosportsextra.com. I think we have a good thing going as we talked about. So I appreciate you following our work there. I do have a podcast, the Oh You Didn't Know Wrestling Show. Every week it comes out on Thursdays at 2 a.m. You can get it on SoundCloud, iTunes, and probably a bunch of other places. But uh, please do check that out. Download, rate, and subscribe five stars. Also, we have a Patreon for our podcast, patreon.com forward slash O-Y-D-K-W-S. And if you like our uh, podcast, you'll like our Patreon. It really is that simple. So I uh, appreciate you supporting all of my work. Always a pleasure talking to uh, Brad Shepard, just a really, really good guy. You know, I, I always say that um, when you have folks out there who want to get the pitch forks going and they want to put the scarlet letter on, on other folks, you know, the same people who are quick to judge somebody, I, I kind of have to take a look at that somebody they're judging and, and take a look for myself and make my own conclusions and, and my own observations on what's going on. And when I did that with Brad Shepard, I, I walked away saying, you know, this guy's not so, so bad. And I'd rather hang out with him than hang out with some of these folks who are criticizing him. So once again, Brad Shepard, Pro Sports Extra, the Oh You Didn't Know podcast. You can find him on Twitter. Of course, I'm going to tag him in this post, folks. So if you go to the Duke Loves Wrestling Facebook or Twitter, you'll see Brad Shepard's stuff all over the place. Always appreciate when this guy joins the show. And that does it this week. So I want to thank the pastor of wrestling, Kevin West, and I want to thank Big Al for joining us. Again, uh, my, my respects to the man, Joe Pettisino, Bonnie Blackstone, my, my heart goes out to you, of course. And, you know, folks, I want to dedicate this episode of the show to indie wrestler and, and a guy who's been on the show before, Brad, Brad Sanders. You know, Brad currently is, is in an active battle. This is the biggest wrestling match of his career. He's battling COVID-19. And he's had to advocate for himself and, and force folks to test him. He knew something wasn't right. You know, his job kept telling him to come to work, but he knew something wasn't right. And come to find out it was true. He, he has the virus. So I've been checking in with Brad daily. And, and, you know, Brad, I know you're listening right now, brother. This is a formal invite. when want to have you back on the show next week because uh, I believe you're going to beat this thing. So absolutely, Brad Sanders, we, we appreciate you. We dedicate this episode to you. And, and hopefully we'll be talking to you next week. And hopefully you'll be listening next week. So until then, be kind to yourselves. Be kind to others. We'll catch you on the other side, folks. Mr. Tony Schiavone, and we're desperately out of time on Duke Love Wrestling.